The Secrets of Movies and TV Shows is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Movies and TV Shows. Hey everyone, I'm Thomas Senterho, and you're listening to our third episode in our Secrets of Dune series, where we're going to discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings of Frank Herbert's Dune and its various media representations. Joining me on the panel here today are Jack Berezini. Hi, Jack. Hey, Thomas. And Andrew Hermes. Hi, Andrew. Hey, what's up, guys? So tonight we're uh, finally going to cover the original source material the book so we've done the done a couple of different movie representations a failed movie representation and um we're actually going to get to the the real thing tonight uh so different kind of speed for the movies and tv shows because we're going back to uh something that's a uh, real source material um now i have a question for you guys are you are you guys people that like watch a movie and that is based on a book and compare notes between the book and the movie or do you just appreciate them for what they are i I gotta ask before we get started with this (laughs) i am for me it really depends on what movie and what book it is um something like like this or i guess you could kind of compare it to lord of the rings i will i'll compare it and i'll the what i'm mainly looking for is that they keep the core ideas the same i i realize that there's going to be things you can't translate well from the page onto the screen and so i'm okay with them changing like plot events or condensing things or moving things around or combining characters if they have to. But as long as they keep like the core themes the same, then that's usually what I'm looking for. Yeah. I'm along those same lines. Uh, I don't really care. Like I'm not one of those like fanboys of the book, like where the movie ha- or the TV show has to like, you know, treat it as gospel. Like, I, I, like you said, Jack, I think as long as, you know, they nail down the key themes and, um, as far as plot, as long as like, there's no major changes as to where like, it's a, it becomes a completely different story or, or, or you can tell, you know, they made changes in order to just maybe satisfy, uh, you know, try and satisfy the audience, you know, a broader audience or something like that. Um, yeah, I've, to me, like when it, when it comes to adaptations, it's, it's a totally different medium. So, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm not too worried about like uh you know how faithful they are to to every story beat um because it's nearly impossible to do that. So uh so yeah, I, I don't I I do watch out for changes and 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 a lot of the times, you know, sometimes the movie or TV show might improve on the book um or might surprise you or it just, you know, in most cases just works out better for the the medium um so so yeah I, I don't i don't i don't i try not to care too much about those things that's good i, I think both those are great answers I'm, I'm the same way i really don't i don't mind i always go into a movie watching it as a different story that's i've i learned that very early on then if i got upset got too upset about the um <laughs> the adaptations on the screen that it would just ruin both for me and then i wouldn't want to have anything to do with them anymore so as long as it stays true to like the the general idea of what was what was happening that's that's what i that's what i'm looking for i'm always interested in casting that's one of my favorite parts of watching 
uh, yeah. movies based on books because you know your idea of a particular character is going to be completely different from my idea but then once you get them on screen that's that's what's there you, you, you see the person you see the way they act you see the way that they're uh, presenting things so it's always really interesting to see who they pick to fill those particular roles mm-hmm. okay so before we dive in too much on the book um i want to give everyone a little bit of an impression on where the three of us stand with having read the book so we can start there uh so kind of frame that I, I think the most recent first read is you andrew right you you read it just recently first time yes yeah yeah i think i, I finished it probably a couple months ago awesome and yeah. so uh so what i, what I want to do is kind of give each each one of us give our our in, uh, a story about our initial reading like tell when we initially read it and kind of what was going on in our lives in the world when we read it and then um and then that'll be that'll kind of frame it so since you're the you're the most recent you get to go first (laughs) sure um yeah i basically read this book because it was homework for this podcast um (laughs) yes (laughs) but yeah right but uh but no i mean i did volunteer to do this (laughs) podcast because i i have always been fascinated by this story um if uh for those of you who, who have been listening since our first podcast um uh, you'll know that I got into it. My, my only exposure to the actual story was really the, the David Lynch film, um, which is uh, quite an interesting way to, to dive into this world uh, to say the least. Um, and uh, Yodorowsky's documentary uh, was something I'd watched as well, but you know, the documentary doesn't really obviously worry too much about the the story it's it's all about the behind the scenes of this movie that never got made but um but yeah really my only exposure like i mentioned was the lynch film and then this the journey of this podcast has led me to uh to to this book and then ultimately um uh, villeneuve's film that will come out uh, later this year if hopefully if they don't delay it again, um, yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to jinx it. Um, so yeah, I, I was going into this book, um, little intimidated. Uh, I mean, just by the, sh- me knowing what I was kind of getting myself into, uh, knowing how, uh, how, how sort of dense the material is and, um, and just knowing the reputation the book has for its its pacing and and you know how Herbert chooses to tell his stories and and I think sci-fi novels in general from from this time period were you know are kind of dated in its storytelling if if you're you know if you're like me I mean I'm not a big sci-fi novel reader like I, the only sci-fi novels I've really read are like you know a handful of star wars ones and and yeah not really anything else comes to mind actually so it's it, this is a really way different uh way that uh, like again the pacing and, and all of it was was something that i had to kind of prepare myself for and i'll admit that you know in the beginning it was really a slog to get through this book um <laughs> and, and i know i'm not alone in that sentiment but um just getting used to that the the way that herbert you know because there, there's a lot of uh you know a lot of how he writes is he, it's a lot of world building, right? Which is very common 
especially when you're writing an, an epic and, and an, uh, an epic story like this and, and a story that spans multiple books. I mean, this is a, you really only have to read this book. It's kind of a self-contained story, but you know, as we know, there are other books, you know, he chooses to, to, to kind of go off, uh, you know, for pages, just, you know, kind of des- describing, you know, the setting and, and uh, a lot of times it won't add anything to the actual story is this, mm-hmm. we're just kind of getting lost in the world. And for me, a lot of that is like, I can appreciate it, but you know, I kind of, it's kind of hard to concentrate on, on what actually is going on You know, sometimes when you're, as you're reading, but, um, uh, but I got through it. I mean, I, I, I it, you know, I took some breaks, uh, from the book. Uh, it took me, you know, on and off. It probably took me, uh, about two months to, to finish it from start to finish, you know, just a lot of times just putting it off, but, uh, it was, I know we'll get into it. I don't want to reveal too much of, 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 uh, how I feel about everything. I know when we get into the themes of the book, you know, we'll, I'll share more feelings on this, but, but overall it, 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 I, I, I do understand and have more of appreciation for, for what this book, uh, means for, for the genre of sci-fi across all, uh, platforms, uh, you know, like all the influences from star Wars, you know, are there. Right. Uh, and it, it's, and, and basically every sci-fi movie that you've seen. Um, so it's, you know, it's kind of like you're, you're reading, uh, it's, you're reading a history book, uh, right. and mm-hmm. you're putting things. Yeah. And, and, and things that you've, that you've seen throughout your, your life or events that have taken place throughout your life or, or in this case, other movies or shows or books that you've read have context now, you know, uh, to, to where it's come from. So, it, I mean, a big part of what I got from the reading this book is that sort of appreciation and, um, and, uh, also a lot of the ideas that Herbert presents in the book, which we're obviously going to discuss, um, he presents in a way that I think is better than almost any other writer I've read. Like, I'll give him that. Like, he's really Absolutely. good at presenting the themes and the ideas. Um, uh, and, but as far as storytelling, it's, it was kind of tough for me, but, but in presenting those ideas, I think he, he really nailed it. Yeah. I think you're not alone in that at all. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it, it's yeah. it always amazes me when people tell me that, that Dune is one of the best selling sci-fi novels in the world. And in, in the history of right. science fiction, yeah. right? It's like, how? <laughs> doesn't make any sense. That's a good point. Yeah, it does not make sense. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Jack. So when when did you first read it? I first read it uh, about five years ago. You know, just it's it'd been on my list for a long time. Um, and I was really blown away by it. Um, I like to compare it to, and then I've read it two more times. And I read, I just finished it like a couple of weeks ago in preparation for this recording so it's fresh in my mind um but something that's always really blown me away about it is how it doesn't feel dated like a lot of like 1950s mm-hmm. or 1960s sci-fi like when you read it you can tell this is of the era like things like Arthur C Clarke or uh HG Wells like they're very much of their time but if you told me that this book was written in 1995 or even like the early 2000s I would not bat an eye at that because it feels so so timeless in the way things are done kind of the kind of the same way star wars is which you know star wars takes a lot of influence from this but it has that timeless quality with the technology and just with the organic way the story is built to me this is to sci-fi what lord of the rings is to fantasy 
mm-hmm. where it is a sci-fi novel like Lord of the Rings is a fantasy novel, but it is a lot more than that. And I think that's one of the reasons that it is the best-selling sci-fi novel, because I feel like this is a book that you could recommend to someone who is a fan of great literature more than just the sci-fi genre. Whereas with a lot of sci-fi, you got to kind of, you got to know what you're getting into and like that kind of thing. Like as much as I love Isaac Asimov, if you're not a fan of, if you're not a fan of science fiction, you are not going to like his books, but I feel like Dune, you could consider you could consider it like great literature. Right. I I totally agree. And the comparison to Isaac Asimov is one that, uh, that I think we'll bring up a couple more times because it's Mm -hmm. just, it's always stunning to me to think of these two of this this novel and in Herbert's sci-fi in general uh, in the same even conceptual realm as uh, Asimov or as uh, right. you know Clark Clark's stuff was closer but still they just feel different they just feel incredibly different yeah yeah I I think uh, you know to your point about it it having been written in the 90s I, this book the one thing that blows my mind about this book is the way they talk about the atomic weapons. And mm-hmm. how that's kind of the the pinnacle uh, weapon that they have, and nobody wants to touch it. And it's it's a very different way of looking at atomic weapons than I think a lot of other authors were doing at the time. And the reason that it works so well is because it's the way that we really think about them today, right? They're this thing that's mm-hmm. like a fail safe end plan. We don't want to do that, but we will if we have to. And, and I don't think anybody else had that sense at that point, but the way that it's written in this book, it really feels like our modern conception of the way atomic weapons are used. Right. I think another thing that really sets it apart is the fact that one of the, one of the themes they touch on is there are no advanced computers because of the Butlerian Jihad where there are no thinking machines, which mm-hmm. is, is what they call them. And I feel like the the fact that there is no advanced computers in the story really helps keep it timeless because you're not getting a 1960s view of what advanced computers were yeah that humans humans were better calculators than right machines ever ever could be which is (laughs) that's a i I like that that's another one that kind of really uh places it in a good spot all right so so for me i read it when i was 15 that's the first time i read it and um I absolutely fell in love with this book at 15 years old. Uh, it helps that Paul is right around that age in books. So, you know, feel it, it just resonated with me very deeply. And I read it every single year after that until I was 28 years old. And I lost the book because I loaned it to someone and never got it back. <laughs> and, and I kept intending to buy a new one, intending to buy a new one. And so finally I did a couple of years ago and uh, I haven't read it every year since then. So I've, it's been about five years that I've had a copy in the house, but I have read it three more times. So almost, almost every year since I've had it back in my house. And uh, I love this book. I love sci-fi. I'm, I am a huge sci-fi buff. So I've, I've read Asimov. I've read Clark. I've read Heinlein. I've read uh, Philip Dick, which are all, contemporaries of Mm -hmm. of frank herbert and um there's just something about this book that i don't even i don't even think of it as science fiction really and and i'll be completely honest in saying that um it it does feel feel like a great literature work that just happens to have a sci-fi underpinning Mm -hmm. and and that that to me is i think what makes it you know it's what sets it apart into that region of of being the best-selling science fiction because like you said, you don't have to, it's not stylized in such a way that only this 
particular group of people is really going to enjoy it. But it just it tells the story of of real humans and real humanity and real growth and a real coming of age tale. Um, the reality of of impending doom, fate, whatever you want to call it. And I think that's, you know, that's one of the themes we'll talk about as we get into it. But um, it, it, it tells a real story and it just happens to be, you know, 8,000 years in the future. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, and I, and I love that, that that's, that's another thing that I think is really good about the setting of this book is that it's like, you know, it's so far in the future. We don't even know what it's going to look like. So I'm just going to make it up. <laughs> right. I'm just going to invent everything I want to invent about it and hand wave a whole lot of it. Along yeah. the, along the course. <laughs> so I have to ask, um, Andrew, I'm assuming you haven't read the rest of the series, right? Oh, no, no. Okay. I know, Jack, uh, we were talking beforehand and you have read the rest of the series. I'm actually most of the way through Children of Dune right now. So I'm okay. three books in. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, okay. Yeah. <laughs> So um, if for anyone who hasn't read the rest of the series, uh, Andrew summed it up best. You really only have to read this book. <laughs> um, if, if you've ever watched the Matrix movies, all three of the Matrix movies, that's the way I feel about the Matrix movies, too, where you, you just have to watch the first one and it says everything exactly. that needs to be said. And the rest of it is just kind of, uh, you know, cotton candy. Um, Absolutely. And, and uh, the rest of the Dune series, in my opinion, and I'm going to be I, I'm going to be opinionated on this one. The rest of the Dune series is just kind of. <laughs> It loses the thread and just goes off into a very, very weird land. So it gets more into that stylized kind of science fiction than um, than this book does. And I, I, I feel like it undoes some of the great things that this novel uh, stands alone and does. And so that's why I don't, I don't recommend the rest of it. But if you are a person that has to complete, <laughs> just realize when you read this book, you've got five other books coming after it and it it they get progressively weirder yeah they just kind of like <laughs> they just go off into the warp and you feel like you're on a spice trip the whole time <laughs> so um yeah that's 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 all i'll say about the rest of them this is the one we're focusing on now I, <laughs> I hope that i hope we get a great movie out of this a great couple of movies out of this book and if they decide to make the rest of them uh i hope somebody reads the books before they decide to commit the money to it <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right so um i th- this i think this this is actually a really good spot to to talk about this though um having read it as adults both of you what do you think uh about the right age to read this book that's that's one question a lot of people have about books it's like when should i tell my my kid to read this book i'd say 13 to 15 um it would probably be the best spot. 13 might be a bit on the young side, but you know, some kids are more advanced in what they're reading. Um, but I think that would be a good, a good place to jump in. Yeah, yeah I would agree. I, I, I would say like a, a young teenager could get into it, but with the, yeah, the only caveat being, you know, their, their reading level. Cause mm-hmm. again, it's, it's a pretty, it's a pretty, dense book. And I think that, um, it might be overwhelming, uh, if for, for some, uh, teenagers, if like they're not, they haven't read too many novels up to that point, like that are kind of in the same, uh, same sort of space. But, um, but yeah, I think easily a, a teenager could, could pick up this book and, uh, um, you know, t- totally, uh, carry on with the, the story and the pace. Mm-hmm. 
I think I think it's a good book as if you're an adult too though it's it's a good book to to pick up and read because it does speak to the human condition in such a way that I, I think one that, one that's difficult to read as an adult for the first time is Ender's Game. Uh, I know that I've recommended that one to a couple of my friends that haven't ever read it before, and it's that's a book that if you're not in that sweet spot of like you know mid teens, um, early to mid teens, that 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 book does not <laughs> it does it doesn't read as well in my opinion. I, I, I've, that's that's been my experience with people like re- reflecting back to me, but I think this one reads well even as an adult. Like you can get you can pick it up and read it, but I would definitely recommend it for. Uh, 13 to 15 year olds. Um, my 13 year old read it uh, last year. Uh, he wanted to prep for the podcast with me. And so he's kept up with all the movies and everything that we've been watching. And he loved it. He, he thought it was a great book. Now he probably will not ever read it again because he felt like it was a, a long book. <laughs> he's not a guy for like rereading books or like reading long books in general. Right. And my six, my 16 year olds reading it right now. And she's, she's an avid reader very much reads all the time but she's used to the percy jackson kind of pacing of books mm-hmm. and so um you know the rick riordan books and the this their nan clues and that that whole group and so this book was is really tough for her she's just like that nothing is happening i've read so many pages of this book and like nothing has happened <laughs> i'm like yeah i know but a lot has a, lot, a lot's there you know just just keep reading you'll it, it, keep reading <laughs> I think this is a good book. Also, I've tried to turn people who are on um, who are fans of game, the Game of Thrones books Mm. onto this, because I feel like this has everything that is good about Game of Thrones without all the extraneous stuff that is either just morally objectionable because it's so gratuitous and so graphic. And also it's just a better written novel. Mm -hmm. So but it it feels a lot of those same kind of it hits those same points. I feel like I would agree with that. Yeah. Definitely. That's, that's one thing that, um, that's a good point because, um, George Martin always blew me away with the way that he could, he could describe things so well that I never needed to look at the map. That's always, that's always my, I, I'm just a marvel at that fact because even with Tolkien, mm-hmm. you know, Tolkien would describe stuff and I'd be like, what? Where is and then I'd have to go back and find the map at the beginning and, and look at it and go, okay, okay. Now, now I know where we are. Um, but for, for Martin, I never had to do that. I just always knew where we were in. And that, it feels kind of like that with Dune. Although maybe more that there's not really an important map point. Just right. you're either in the city or you're out in the desert and that's it. <laughs> yeah. So, cool. Um, so I think, you know, to start off with uh, the thing I want to discuss kind of from the beginning is uh, not the book itself, but Frank Herbert, the person. Um, so I, I, I know I happen to know a little bit about him. And so I'll you know fill us in and talk about some of that and then we'll discuss some of those things but uh a thing that that really uh just stuns me about frank herbert is uh he is not like any of the other uh science fiction uh authors that are that were his contemporaries so asimov clark uh, bradbury heinlein uh those names are all like really standard names that have you know like we, we read bradbury in high school in the united states uh fahrenheit 451 is one of those books that comes up pretty often in high schools um, you know, Heinlein is known as like this, he's got this whole movement of, uh, uh, you know, anarchists, uh, libertarian kind of, uh, readers that, that really, you know, love Heinlein's books because of that stuff. And, um, you know, and Clark's just classic sci-fi. That's when, when people think of Clark, they think of like that, you know, this, the, the 2001. 2001. Yeah. And, uh, and that's, that's kind of what they think of. 
but Bradbury, uh, uh, but Herbert just kind of sits off by himself. Like, like nobody really talks about him when they talk about science fiction authors, which is, I think because this book is like, it's that weird kind of, it's classic literature, not really science fiction in that same way. Um, but I also think it's because he's got the background of being a journalist. And that was like, that was his thing is that he was a journalist primarily who wrote science fiction uh, beside that. And so I, I, did you guys know, do you guys know how this book came about? Like what he mm-hmm. was inspired by? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I don't. <laughs> okay. So, so here you go. Uh, he, he was a journalist and he was assigned to this, um, to report on the story about disappearing sand dunes in the, the North, uh, the Northwest. And he went and he uh, researched it and he, he just got really into the research of it and was uh, really involved with what was happening to these dunes. And because it was such an ecological thing that was, that was really causing this change, uh, he was really inspired by it. And that's it. That's, that was the, the source of this entire world was just this, this one story that he went to report on about the disappearance of these uh, sand dunes. And, and then a lot of other stuff came in. He was really into the, the psychedelics and, and the, the way that they were being used and talked about at the time. And it was a very different, the drug culture at the time was very different. And authors especially were very interested in the way that, that plants affected the mind. And so he got really into that. And so that's where all of the like, you know, Bene Gesserit stuff comes from. Uh, but it was just, it was all journalistic. And I think that's part of what makes this book touch so many other things. It's just that uh, having that journalistic intent. So, you know, when you, when you talk about Andrew, like him kind of wandering off for pages, just describing things, you know, just describing mm-hmm. the palace, like it's just Paul wandering through the palace for, you know, five, 10 pages. And there's nothing going on in the story. It's just him wandering the palaces. That's that's Frank Herbert, like doing that journalist thing, like talking about the, you know, the details just to fill in the, the, the picture for you as the reader so that you have a sense of being there. And um, and he does it so much better than any of these other guys uh, do, in my opinion. I, I think it's, it's mm-hmm. really it's really great. And I hope it translates to the movie really well. That's one of the things that I'm really looking forward to, uh, because I know uh Denis Villeneuve, he's so so good with the scenery. Like uh, that was amazing with Blade Runner twenty forty nine. So I'm really looking forward to oh, yeah. how this is going to work out. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what that's why this book is so universally accessible is that he was not coming at it from either like a physicist's perspective. Like a lot of mm-hmm. science fiction authors come from that science mathematical background, and they re- it's like writing fiction in a very left brain kind of way can make it difficult to be appealing because it tends to become very much about the concepts and not about the characters. Whereas I feel like Herbert was able to take these wide ranging concepts, like with the ecology and all the different things he's dealing with, and then use that as a backdrop for these characters who actually feel human and feel relatable. Whereas a lot of times like, I think Asimov is particularly bad at this. His characters end up just becoming mouthpieces for whatever concept he is trying to convey mm-hmm. rather than feeling like actual people. Yeah. Well, I, I completely agree with that. Yeah, definitely. And the Foundation series, while it's great, it is very much like a, a scientific telling of the future. And it's right. kind of, ah. <laughs> yeah. 
So well, that's uh, that's getting um, an Apple TV series, right? Yeah, yeah I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. I saw a trailer for that. It looks pretty, pretty epic. I haven't read the book, but I know of the book. If you had a um, hard time with the pacing of Dune, that one is uh, that one's a tough nut to crack. Yeah. <laughs> the Foundation series is rough because because yeah. I think with with Dune, at least you're getting the settings with um, with foundations. You're getting like so much of the science. It's right. Yeah. And, and, and it's trying to explain it, you know, and it's like, nice. right. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what I like about. Yeah. That's what I like about Dune is that he doesn't explain any of the science and he doesn't even do world building in that way that a lot of science fiction authors do where they're like, all right, these two characters are going to have a very extraneous conversation where they mention a bunch of specifics <laughs> that is solely for the audience. Most of his world building, you just pick up through inferences or through the little chapter headings. And I like that because like you're reading the book and they'll reference like, something and you don't even know what that is but you just kind of infer based on the context and then later on you might learn but like they don't they don't ever go into like and this is how this piece of technology works it's just there and it's part of the world which i like yeah and so i I think that's that's how i like my sci-fi too yeah i think (laughs) yeah i think that's why we like star wars it's it's because like it's not yeah it, it doesn't bother with like oh how do these lightsabers work or how does the force work you know it's like this is just how it is. And I know once, (laughs) yeah, once they started doing that, (laughs) see, once they started to try and explain it, that's when it didn't work out so well. But, um, but yeah, in general, yeah, I think, uh, I think you're right. That's a good point uh, that you guys make about the book. It, It doesn't, doesn't really concern itself with the, the science part of the science fiction. It's, it's, um, it's very much a, a literary piece of work that just so happens to, like you mentioned, take place 8,000 years in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and when I, I think I, the, the brilliance of it too, is that, you know, you're talking about a man that published a book in 1965. So you've got civil rights movement. You've got the, the sand dune ecology thing. You've got um, mainstreaming of psychedelics. Um, there was a lot of talk about the post-World War uh, population boom. So already there was discussion about overpopulation and what we were going to do uh, with an overpopulated world. And then there were also, I think the really interesting one is that there's so much of the holy war aspect in this. But in 1965, that wasn't a thing the way it is now. And I think we, we take that for granted, you know, thinking about, uh, about the holy wars in the Middle East and the way that uh, all of that stuff happens. And it, it was something that been in existence forever but uh he wasn't just talking about crusades when he was talking about holy wars he was talking a lot about like what we consider modern day kind of um uh states rising up with uh religious intent being brought into political action and Mm -hmm. that's it's such an interesting thing that that uh, you know all those things were going on in 1965 and he's like yeah you know that's the human condition (laughs) eight thousand years from now we're still gonna be dealing with that stuff And I think that's what that's what gives it that timeless quality is you don't get that thing that science fiction authors too often do where they try to imagine humanity as evolved past our like basically our fallen nature. Mm-hmm. So you get a bunch of advances in the in humanity, like with the Bene Gesserit and the Mintots and things like that. But none of that actually touches upon the core fallen nature that we have. Like people are still going to have the same proclivities and same shortcomings that they've always had. Right. And then they're going to come up with creative new solutions for, for problems. Like, you know, you're overweight. Okay. Well let's uh, put some repulsor lifts under your, 
under your belly there so that you can you know <laughs> walk around and still eat all the food you want <laughs> right and so and i think that's uh yeah that's it's such an interesting way that he that he pulls all of those things in and and you can look at each one of those each one of those topics is dealt with somewhere in these books and even he even touches on religion in such an interesting way because you have uh, a, a very fallen character in Dr. Yue who he goes into great lengths talking about the the OC Bible and how it how it looks and so it's it's got a very kind of Catholic feel because it ties into that uh, that basis for things but then it's also you know the religion has updated itself to include the wars and the the concept of humans being uh more important than machines and that being part of the the biblical uh religion that they follow at this point mm-hmm. i think he also does a good job and from what i've read based on his background i don't think he was particularly any one religion he seemed to be much more interested in kind of an eastern trend transcendental kind of thing but he does a good job of showing how religion can be corrupted for like uses by governments without it coming across as anti-religious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah so I, I really, really like that. Yeah. And, yeah, and I, I think, think, Oh yeah, no, I was just, uh, just going to say, he, he, I think the, he, with, with Paul's character, he, he kind of presents this sort of, I don't know if it's, I guess it has to do with like, I guess politics and religion. Uh, I mean, I guess those things are kind of really, interwoven in the into the story but with paul's character he, he kind of challenges a notion of like paul being the savior but obviously paul being someone who is you know a fallen man and, and who makes mistakes and is not perfect but he has like this now he has like the this following <laughs> behind him that will follow him without question and will die for him without question you know it's it's like uh, one of the more powerful themes of this book and I know we'll get into it more because the end of the book is like how like it kind of ends like in a way where it's like it's kind of it's a little abrupt and and there, it, there's not really a there is a resolution, but there really isn't. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, again, it's like these people like this. This war is still going to happen. These these people are still going to, you know, going to going to fight. And, and, and there's nothing he can do about it, even though he's their leader. You know, they're mm-hmm. blindly going to. Going to 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 die, willing they're willing to die, you know, for the cause, and um, you know that could be taken as an, an obvious critique on on religion, um, where where people could blindly just believe, you know, whatever they believe in without question, whether they just believe it because it's familial or if if it's it was conditioned or or, or whatever. Uh, I think I think that's a very, very uh, it was obviously a key thing that he wanted to concentrate on in the book um, because it it kind of it, it kind of sets up the the tone for the end of the ending. Um, so I, I think that it, it also obviously portrays Paul as like or the not just Paul, but the idea of being a hero in general. Like, what does that mean? You know, right. um, uh is that something that you want you know you do you want to be a hero for people that just kind of support you in that blind sort of way um you know uh and as we know in 
in our with our faith in Catholicism, like Christ gives us free will because he wants us to freely choose to to love him and, and to love others uh, so that we're not so so we're not slaves. We're not robotic. Um, so it's it's an interesting theme that he plays with uh, throughout the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he really deals a lot with the idea of inexorable fate and these people are caught up in this like this thousand these thousand year long machinations that mm-hmm. no matter what they do they really can't get out of it yep and and i think that's kind of it's it's one of the beauties of of realizing that humans are humans right where it's we get stuck in these patterns and there's no way uh it, it's tough because while Paul is one man who changes the entire universe. He's also only one man and can't change the entire universe. Right. And Mm -hmm. to be able to write that into a story and have both of those things happen is so brilliant. It's such a beautiful look at this, at this character and who he is and that he's, he's still a kid essentially, even, even by the time he's an adult, by the end of the, the book, he's still, not very old and hasn't been involved in all these machinations. You know, he wasn't even really, his dad wasn't even really pushing him to be overly, overtly political. Um, even though he's born for it, right. That's, that's, that was the mm-hmm. whole point of what he was born for. Uh, and, and that, that concept of free will and determinism, both coexisting uh, is so well done in this book where it's like, I, and I think that's something a lot of people struggle with, especially when they get into talking about religion uh, with uh, like with Christian religion. It's how can God both know everything and also give us free will. And mm-hmm. you see it happen in this book where Paul has prescience. He knows what's going to happen, but at the same time, he keeps trying to, to change it, to do the best thing for everyone. And he can't, he can't, he can't affect the change on a large enough scale uh, no matter how much he wants to will it that way. And it's such a really interesting way to write a character. And, you know, like you were saying, Andrew, I love that concept of like, do you really want to be a hero? It, and mm-hmm. that's one of the big questions that comes up from this book. I do think it's funny. I've seen um, some people, I've seen a critique of Dune where they say it's basically the white savior trope. Hmm. And I feel like, that unless you've not read the book, that's not really in there at all because the entire point is he's not, he's, he's caught up in this just as much as everyone else. Right. And especially in the, the sequels, it kind of flips a lot of that on its head. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, the Freeman basically elevate him to that status, right? He doesn't, Mm -hmm. he doesn't seek that at all. And then the Freeman kind of like push him and like, you are this person and they, they keep trying to put him in this role. And, um, and it, and a lot of it's just dumb luck, right? Like mm-hmm. some of it, obviously, the 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 true believer would say, well, obviously it's not dumb luck. It's 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 not nothing is by coincidence, right? But the fact that he picks the name Maldib, which is just this the desert rat that kind of hops in a funny way, and that's the name of their of their prophet. It's like, okay, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know you could, and you see at that point the Fremen start like. Oh, this is the guy, right? <laughs> yeah, and he has no clue. He's just that's the thing that saved us going across the desert. I, I don't know. It seems like the most inoffensive thing. I'll pick that name because it'll just keep me out of trouble, right? Nope, that's the one, <laughs> right? 
I think that just goes back to the whole, the movements of, of fate carrying things through. And even the Bene Gesserit who are, they, they think that they're guiding everything, but they're really caught up in it just as much as everyone else. Yeah. Especially when you start to learn about the bloodlines and, uh, you know, what they've been doing to try to manipulate the bloodlines and find out the reality of who Jessica is. And then that makes the reality of who Paul is. Uh, it's yeah, it's, it's a, they are, they're, they're, they're just cogs in the, in the wheel of, uh, the moving humanity. Right. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to challenge you guys now. This is, um, I, I know it's hard to pick one particular moment or character from the books, but, um, that's my challenge to you. What, what is your favorite moment and or character from the book? We'll start with you. Uh, uh, Andrew, go ahead. You guys first. Um, probably the, uh, the, like the, the dinner banquet party scene mm-hmm. where, uh, uh, there were a lot of good quips in, in that, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, during that, that scene. And I think, um, you know, a, you get to see a lot of the characters uh, sort of shine. Um, you know, there's, uh, yeah, uh, Paul, I remember uh, there's a, there's a part where Paul asks, uh, someone if, if they're, uh, if, if they're cannibals and, and, um, and it was kind of a, it was kind of funny, but at the same time, it was kind of a interesting uh, question that he posed. Uh, he, he asked them if they were cannibals. Um, so he's kind of like hinting that they'd be willing to kill their own people for their own benefit. So Paul was kind of like calling these people out, uh, like on their BS, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, it, you know, Lady Jessica has a, um, she has like her own sort of, uh, moments in there where she, uh, she, she, she's, she's like hoping that, that Leto will realize that, um, that the smugglers like their, that their ships will be, uh, that they'll be bribed and, and that they'll like make a hasty exit, you know, out of Arrakis. Um, so like, it's just a lot of, t- I'm so much happens, happens in that, that sort of, uh, in, in that part of the book that I'm forgetting, but there, I just remember that, that scene being very tense. And at the same time, it was funny. And, and a lot of the characters sort of got their own, like their quips in and, uh, it kind of revealed a lot of what was s- sort of to come. It revealed like mm-hmm. everyone's sort of place, uh, in the conflict. And then it sets up like how everyone was going to act or react to, you know, everything that unfolds towards the end. So I don't know if you guys remember that scene in particular. Um, it's, it's sort of, early on in the book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kind of towards the middle. Not, I think still before the middle of the book, but it's interesting because um, it's probably the most exposition we get about the politics of mm-hmm. the world. Yes. And yeah, and it's, absolutely it's done in such, you're right. It's done in such a clever yeah. way that it doesn't feel like, you know, Jackie were saying that when you have those two characters sit and they just talk through this, right. this complete tangent of, of it <laughs> has nothing to do with the story, but they're just talking through what the, what this particular sciencey thing is but this is it feels really natural it feels like it fits that this this banquet mm-hmm. scene feels like it fits in the in the larger story but then it also tells us so much about 
where everybody's at and what they're all interest, what their interests are, where they're proceeding with things. So yeah, that's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. And Paul, yeah. Paul just like calling out the, um, the, the banker, um, oh, mm-hmm. for, for, for being like a, you know, the two faced liar, yep. <laughs> you know, like it, it was, it was, it was all good. Like Paul had a lot, like Paul shined a lot during that scene. And then I just liked how, uh, yeah, I just like I just liked how everyone was just kind of uh put in their place um uh, in that scene. Um it was uh and it, it's it's and it's like very fitting when and and it's uh it feels good when you see like people in politics or or any public figure who is like a known BSer like most politicians are <laughs> but when they're caught in their their BS or when you catch them in there or or mm-hmm. or when you there's actually something to show for how fake they are it's kind of gratifying it's like okay yeah. like you're you're we're seeing you know what's behind the curtain um and what your real intentions are mm-hmm. um i really like the scene where um they the first time they see the sandworm and it eats the uh the spice carrier yes <laughs> and with uh it just you get the like the massive scale of the creature and kind of like what they're up against in the world and you also see um it's very re- revealing for Leto's character where he abandons all that to save the people and that example that it gives to Paul I I really like that part and um another part I really like is the Leto's death scene with the poison in the tooth where he's supposed to kill uh the baron and i like how just how that goes so wrong because that feels like it almost feels like the uh like the valkyrie hitler assassination right where like it was so close and it just didn't go off and i've i've heard that that part criticized for being too like too fake and put on, but that feels like that's the kind of, those are the kind of little missteps you get in real history. And I just like how he thought to include something like that rather than just not having any sort of assassination attempt. Right. No, no, I, I I think that it would have been, you would have been missing something because you, it it gives you that hope. Like you're like, Mm -hmm. okay, yes, maybe, maybe, maybe he's going to, no, he fails at the last moment and you, and, and there's so many times, like you said, where in history, that's, that's, it's so close to being successful mm-hmm. and then just by this slight margin fails and, and sets up the rest of the, the story too. And, and that's, that's, I think why people feel like it's contrived just because, you know, it doesn't end up killing the Harkonnen and got, you know, Baron Harkonnen and you've got all this other stuff that happens from there. But uh, yeah, that's a good one. That's a good pick too. What about you? I think for mine, uh, I'm going to cheat and I'm going to say uh, Dr. Kynes and the sandworms in general. Like, I love every scene Dr. Kynes is in. Uh, he's such a fantastic character, just completely otherworldly, but then also still part of Paul's world. And you you see that kind of in, in the fact that he ends up with Chani later on in the, the books. But, um, you know, he's this scientist that has that's figured out how every, how everything on this planet works to such an extent that he's ready to manipulate the entire planet. And at the same time is willing to admit that he doesn't really understand everything about it. And Mm -hmm. just maintaining that level of, uh, of interest in something and knowing that, you know, I I don't need to know everything uh, about uh, what's what I'm doing, but I, 
do I know enough to be able to you know make a big impact or make a big change? And I'm comfortable admitting what I don't know because that's uh, I, and that that character really to me is so inspiring. And the the entirety like the the immensity of the sandworms and and that's not even like the one that swallows the harvester at the beginning of the book. That's not even the biggest one that's out there. You know, that's, right? <laughs> that's just a medium size. It's kind of yeah. <laughs> So it's it's really cool. And I, I hope that that it looks like from everything that we've seen on the on the screen so far, that looks like um, the movie's going to have that effect down. So I'm I'm excited mm-hmm. to see that one. That's that's the one I'm really like looking forward to seeing those. <laughs> the yeah. sandworms. Gotta see those. So before we close out, um, I'd like to get some predictions from you guys about the movie. <laughs> uh, I know we've already seen the floating bear in Harkonnen uh, in the in the trailers. Which I was like, no, but like, I'm, it's a homage to Lynch's, so I'll let it let it slide. Uh, but I, what I want to know is that you know, what are you guys most looking forward to in the new interpretation, and what are you most worried about? The one thing that you're looking forward to, one thing that you're worried about in the new movie. Uh, Jack, let's start with you. I'm looking forward to, and this is this is more of a minor thing, really, but I'm just excited to finally see uh, ornithopters actually portrayed on screen like they're described in the book because every adaption we've had they've never had the flapping wings right so it's going to be cool to see that and uh the thing i'm most worried about is uh sting coming back in his uh metal speedo <laughs> yes <laughs> not really that would but, be uh, that would be troublesome <laughs> yeah oh i would love to see it just for the comedic effect <laughs> yes <laughs> oh, man. all right so andrew how about you um i'm i'm looking forward to the sandworms, I think that's uh, obvious. I mean, just the the glimpses that we get from the trailers just look awesome. Um, and 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 being a huge fan of Danny Villeneuve, you know, the visually the film is going to be spectacular. So um, I think he's going to pull it off uh, very well. I'm not worried about that. Um, the only thing I'm worried about and is is just making sure that you know it it translates the story well because i think the, the from lynch's film and uh with the the miniseries you know it's there's such poor adaptations mm. of of the of the book you know i guess this the the miniseries was pretty faithful but it was poor in its adaptation from the perspective of like you know production and mm-hmm. you know bad acting <laughs> and all that sort of stuff uh a lot of it out of the control obviously because of budget but a, a lot of it you know was just some poor acting and directing choices um and the lynch film i think you know obviously lynch we we, we already discussed the the problems with that film with the studio interference and then mm-hmm. and i think lynch you know not having his vision. I mean, he's such a particular director that even if he did get his vision on screen, I think it would still be met with mixed results because he's just that sort of director. He kind of takes it over and and he has his own sort of way of doing things and and telling stories. Um, So uh, yeah, I just, the only thing I worry about is that I hope it's, Danny Villeneuve and I'm sure he does and I'm sure he will um, respects the the story but at the same time like we talked about at the 
the top of this podcast, it doesn't have to be 100% faithful, you know, to the, to the T of, you know, every plot point. Um, uh, you know, as I understand the movie is going to cover the first half of the book with the idea that part two will cover the last half. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's a smart choice. I mean, there, because it's, it's a lot to, to put into, you know, a two hour, two hour and a half film. Um, and, and obviously allows the film to make potentially more money with a second movie. Um, and it's cause I don't know, like from what I gather, I guess the other books are probably not going to get adaptations um, cause they're not nearly as popular obviously as the, the first book. Um, so yeah, I'm, I, I just, and I hope, I hope it, I'm worried about also with the uh, box office uh, the box office worries these days with, you know, the pandemic, you know, if it doesn't make enough money, does that mean the second movie doesn't get made or, um, I hope they already have that one in you know, the hand. They're just like holding off on right, it. Right. I hope. So. Yeah. <laughs> they've not, they've not filmed it. They yet. haven't oh, filmed really? it. Oh, so that's why yeah. I'm worried. Yeah. If oh. they filmed it, I wouldn't be worried. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I, I mean, from what I've read, I think they've given, uh, Denis, uh, a lot of confidence, based all the confidence in the world that he'll be able to finish telling the story. So, um, I think, pr- you know, production companies now are, are, are just counting this year as a loss for almost all their films. Um, uh, and trying to just recoup those losses, you know, in, in sort of creative ways. I, I think, uh, uh, is this is this uh did they just i forget are they doing the hbo max the yes. same day as the they are yes okay yeah so that kind of worries me because that has that's proven not to work um uh it, it actually if you look at the box office numbers even though it's a small sample size the movies that have just released theatrically alone have done way better mm-hmm. um which is obvious because you know People need to see the movie. They have no choice but to pay the money and buy a ticket. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. That's the only thing I'm worried about, honestly. I think it's going to be great. Uh, he ha- Denny hasn't made a bad film yet. So uh, I'm just really looking forward to it, as we all are. Mm-hmm. Right? Exactly. Yes. I'm, I'm telling my kids, you have to read the book before you go, but I've got a lot of kids that are trying to read the book before, <laughs> before the movie comes out. So it's a double win for the dad. Uh, yeah. I think for me, the, the thing I'm looking forward to the most is the settings. Uh, just from the trailers, everything has been so beautiful and completely overblown and amazing. Right. So all of the interiors of the palaces and um, I, I really want to see all of that stuff done the justice that it should be done and i really think that if there was a a director that was going to do it we've got him you know he's this is this is the way it's going to happen so i'm i'm looking Mm -hmm. forward to that and i think the the biggest thing i'm worried about is just uh the reception not being uh what it should be because i think this is going to be a really great film and i'm I'm a little worried about it stopping midway through the story because that kind of the way it breaks the story up is going to be interesting. And so I'm not sure where he's going to, where he's going to put that stop point on the movie, but it's the, this book is one of those that we, it builds and builds and builds and builds. And so if we get 
the first half of the book now and it takes another couple of years to get the second half of the book uh it'll be interesting to see whether that build translates all the way through on that split mm-hmm. that that's my big worry <laughs> yeah just keeping people's attention that's going to be but uh, but on the on the turn of that i don't want him to try and cram the whole book into a two and a half hour movie because that it it can't be done <laughs> yeah <laughs> it just really can't be done right so well, we'll see we'll see how it goes I'm, I'm looking forward to it either way and i'm definitely going to be there opening night uh i'm going to the theaters for this one even if it's crazy chaotic in my area still i'm going <laughs> i'm, I'm gonna mm-hmm. be there yeah, you got to see this on the too. biggest screen possible, right? Yeah, that's yeah. it's got to be yeah. when that sandworm yeah. pops up for the first time. It's got to be like it's going to swallow your in, the entire audience, right? <laughs> that's what you've got to feel. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So, um, any other thoughts? Closing thoughts before we call it a wrap? Just looking forward to the movie. Yep, love the book. Yeah. And yeah, I think I'm just going to stick to this one book in the series. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to say give it a shot but at the same time just it, it, no no you don't you don't have to go for it <laughs> jack's doing the work for me yeah jack's like jack <laughs> jack's it uh jack jack's uh jack's reading him and he said he 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 encourages you to so i don't know i like kind of it's a toss-up and it's one of those things where you'll you will find it's very opinionated people are very opinionated mm-hmm. about it there's no eh, they're okay you could no it's, it's either they're good you should read them or no just avoid them they are terrible <laughs> They're really just yeah. not good. <laughs> uh, and did you say? Uh, did you did you say that that Doctor Hines ends up with Johnny? No, no. Doctor Hines is um uh Johnny's dad. Oh, Johnny's dad. Yeah. Okay. So, which is Got kind it. of the tie-in that that you end up with, with um with Paul and and that whole that whole line. So, All it's, right. that yeah. was kind of weird when you said that. I was like, I kept that in the back of my head, like, what? <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, no, no, no. It's it's because it's, it's right. that's his daughter, and and the way that it the way that he ties into the Freeman, right? Is like with just he became one of them, and got it, yeah. Uh, I, which is kind of it makes sense then because that's why Paul is able to do that too because he's just they're not really as much a like a race of people as they are like a an ideology of people, which is a really cool right. way to think about them too. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. But we can edit this out. Then, <laughs> then. <laughs> that was a misunderstanding. <laughs> no, no worries. That's good. That's good. Good clarification. Uh, all right. So um, we t- like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of movies and TV. Uh, their generous donations at sqpn.com/give make it possible for us to continue making this show and all the shows here at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com/give. Also, be sure to subscribe to the show uh, in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or you can uh, go on the SQPN YouTube channel. Just make sure to hit that subscribe button so you know when our next uh, podcast is coming out. Next time uh, we get together, it's going to be after the movie. Hooray! <laughs> Finally! <laughs> so uh, we'll, we'll have seen it and we'll cover our thoughts on it. And I'm, I'm pretty sure we're all going to see it close to up front. So we'll get together soon after that and make sure we give our initial impressions i might even see it twice i don't know we'll see how it goes <laughs> oh yeah i'm probably going to because i'm gonna be so excited the first time i'm gonna need a second time just to like sit down and take notes <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> so uh we're all we're looking forward to it and we're also looking forward very much to sharing our thoughts with you at that point thanks for joining me tonight in this episode andrew hermes it was a pleasure having you pleasure to be here thank you and jack Branzini, nice having you here thanks good to be here 
And once again, I'm Thomas Sanjurjo. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Movies and TV on Star